All right, let's take our Bibles. Turn to Micah chapter 4. Micah chapter 4. We started off this chapter last week. We're in the midst of Micah's second cycle of messages, two out of three. He has already worked his way through the elements of judgment and indictment. And now into chapters 4 and 5, though he's going to still talk some about their suffering, he's going to do so in the context of what is the greater glory to come. And, and Micah's words are, you know, some of those words we encounter every now and then in the Minor Prophets, words that are ultimately really encouraging. Not all of it is this encouraging, but these words are, and in fact, we'll get to even more of this as we get into the third cycle of Micah uh, in the final few chapters of the book. So we'll kind of pick up where we left off, which we only got into a little bit of it, but I think we'll, we'll kind of plow our way through more of it tonight. Beginning in verse 3, Micah chapter 4, in verse 3, He shall judge between many peoples, and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid." The mouth of the Lord of hosts is spoken. For all people walk each in the name of his God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, says the Lord, I will assemble the lame, I will gather the outcast, and those whom I have afflicted, I will make the lame a remnant, and the outcast a strong nation. So the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from now on, even forever. And you, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. Even the former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. Now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in your midst? Has your counselor perished? For pangs have seized you like a woman in labor. Be in pain and labor to bring forth. O daughter of Zion, like a woman in birth pangs, for now you shall go forth from the city, you shall dwell in the field, and to Babylon you shall go. There you shall be delivered. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now also many nations have gathered against you, who say, let her be defiled, and let our eye look upon Zion, but they do not know the thoughts of the Lord, nor do they understand His counsel." For he will gather them like sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron. I will make your hooves bronze. You shall beat in pieces many peoples. I will consecrate their gain to the Lord and their substance to the Lord of the whole earth. Now gather yourself in troops, O daughter of troops. He has laid siege against us. They will strike the judge of Israel with a rod on the cheek. So I had a disappointing moment this morning. Yeah, hopefully I get a little bit of pity here. This job can bring any number of disappointments. You may not know, some of you may, the church office has an address, 411 Metcalf Street. That means that every now and then there is a delivery truck that may try and deliver to what is technically the front door of the office, all right, which means out on Metcalf Street. 
well, we don't open that door, it sticks, you got to slam it to get it shut, you got to use a key to unbolt the thing. It's, it's not a convenient way to come in, plus I would be the first face you see and we don't want that, all right? So, so you come in through the back and most of the delivery guys, that's what happens. They bring it to the porch and all is well. But every now and then, somebody will bring something to that front porch, which is right outside my office. Sitting at my desk, I have sight when one of these delivery trucks pulls up on Metcalf Street, and I can usually tell, they're not going to go around to the back. They're not going to read the sign. They're going to drop off whatever they've got right on the front porch. But this morning, it was different. Because out of the corner of my eye, actually, I was having a conversation with Pastor John. Quite frankly, I don't remember what we were talking about. Because this so distracted me, I saw a delivery truck that had an ice cream cone on the side of it. So I was all in. And John's still talking. I don't know what he's saying. All right. So I'm looking. He can tell probably I'm distracted. Eventually, I, I can't help it, all right, because I see the guy get out of the truck. I can hear him talking. He's talking to one of the, the, one of the other neighbors. Where's 411 Metcalf Street? Oh, that's the church office. It's right here. Now I'm getting excited. This is about to be a good morning. So I get up from my desk and kind of peer out of my window, and I can see all of what the side of this truck says. It says, it's like a van, all right? It says, ice cream and dessert boutique delivery truck. That's what it says on the side. And the guy's getting in the back. He's opening it up. He's got a dolly he's got to get out. And I'm thinking, my dear precious church. It, they've bl- it, it's hot. They know I love, I've got a sweet tooth the size of the city. They know thinking, what is this that they are about to bless us with, knowing it's probably really me? So I go out to Missy, and I say, Missy, are we expecting any kind of thing? Wondering, does she know? Is something going on? He's going to deliver it to the front. And she said, no. She said, now, I did order some staples, but it wasn't a staples truck. Like, you know, office supply stuff. So sure enough, we look out. He had left something on the front porch, and I make my way out the, this door and around to the front porch because we can't get that door open very easily. So I come around out to the front porch, and I make my way. Sure enough, there are two packages up there, and, and you know, the excitement's growing, all right? All right, the, what delectable delights await me in this? And as I get close enough to pick up the boxes and the packages that await, I see the label for delivery, and it says... Staples. It's Staples. Out of an ice cream and dessert delivery truck. Now, so we got two issues here. One, somebody needs to do something about this. All right? I don't know. I mean, we know a county commissioner. All right? So I don't know. Who do we call? An alderman? I don't know. This seems inappropriate. This guy's driving around and he's delivering Staples stuff. All right? It's nothing against Staples. I mean, pens and staplers and office paper, all that's well and good. But when I see the side of a truck, all right, and it says ice cream, I can, only, I can only tell you the disappointment was significant, all right, in my heart. Now, here's, here, I know it's a silly illustration, so just hold on with me. You think, what does that have to do with Micah? Well, in some ways, not a whole lot other than this, because I, I was also in the midst of thinking about this, Micah, chapter 4. And I, I was in the process of coming up with the introduction and thinking, adding, you know, bits. Whenever I don't finish a sermon, that means there's going to be more bits added to it. All right, that's just kind of how this thing works. 
And so I, I was in the process of getting this finalized for tonight, and here are the thoughts that I had. In light of the deep disappointment of having no ice cream, which I still haven't had today, all right? But in light of having no ice cream, I thought, one, now, th- now th- this is real. I thought, is it not at times almost comical how quickly life can change on you, right? In other words, you get your track on one thing, and is it not true that life has an uncanny ability of snatching that away from you? You're thinking one thing, and boy, it's another. You are about to zig, but life is about to zag, and you can be really wrong about what you think life is about to bring your way. But then I had a second thought. So I thought, you know what, I need to share this story. I'm going to share it tonight. But I also want to make sure that we recognize I'm not making light of the book of Micah, because here's the other thought I had. If that is the worst disappointment I have today, it's a good day. If that's the biggest disappointment I have this week, that's a good week. (laughs) Because the truth is, life can be cruel and brutal and painful. Right? I mean, we, don't, we, don't, we don't need to go around the room to get, think of examples of that. We recognize, and we recognize this in a few ways. We recognize, one, life can turn painful quickly. The bottom can drop out without warning. Now, there are times you might see storms on the horizon, right? There are times in your life you've probably seen, ah, Some things are starting to line up and add up, and it looks like trouble is coming. Sometimes the trouble that you and I face in life, it's the consequences of our own sin. But regardless of how we unpack that, regardless of the reasons for which we might be facing pain, hurt, grief, suffering, it's all because we live in a broken, cursed world. A world that is broken by sin, cursed by death. So the truth is, the nature of life is just this. It's going to bring almost innumerable opportunities to suffer. Now, you might wonder, okay, all right, Pastor, so what does this have to do then with the book of Micah? Here's one of the things I have always appreciated about the Word of God. You know, God could have said in His Word, He could have tried to convince us of some kind of naive optimism. He could have tried to convince us, well, just just hold on, tomorrow will be a better day. And the truth is, the Bible makes it plain. Today can be hard, that doesn't mean tomorrow is going to be better. It may not. So, So the Bible's not naive. And it does not encourage us to be naive. The Bible's really brutally, plainly honest with us about the nature of life and and the way in which it can be harsh and difficult. But at the same time, God throughout His His Word, He doesn't promise us, well, as soon as you have a bad thing happen, I'm going to get rid of it and you'll never feel unhappy again. I wish that verse was in there, all right, because that would preach, but it's not. But God has promised. Today, these moments, the realities that you are facing now, Yes, they they at times can be full of pain, but they are momentary. This is not your forever existence. And what God does regularly throughout His Word, in fact, I would say there's probably not a book 
of the Bible that doesn't in one way or another give us some kind of inkling toward the greater glory that God has promised to those who belong to Him. This is what God is doing in Micah chapter 4. Keeping in mind that God is doing this with a people who are facing suffering and pain because of their own sin. The pain they are enduring is because they are under God's judgment. They've rebelled against Him, not just for days, not just for weeks, not even for years. They've done it for centuries. They are now generationally removed a dozen times over in deep and abiding forms of sin and idolatry and rebellion. But in spite of that, and even though they are facing the consequences of their sin and and, and God's chastisement upon them, God still gives them promises to encourage. And this this is part of the cycle of Micah's message. He's really clear and honest about the indictment and judgment that comes upon God's people, their sin and the consequences for it, but then comes back around and gives us these beautiful declarations of what is going to be a greater glory to come. And so this is where we started off last week. Micah chapter 4 encourages God's people with the hope of a greater kingdom to come, a kingdom full of the glory and grace of God. However, this chapter also reminds God's people that suffering will precede that final kingdom. We don't get to live in a bubble. We don't get to just kind of surround ourselves with nothing but happy thoughts until that day comes. We must endure through what could be challenging days, but we, we can endure that and will, and as a result, we'll enjoy all that is promised. So we've been looking at two truths. Number one, and this is where we kicked off with last week, Number one, if you look at your notes, then here's the blanks. We've already filled some of these in, so we'll go through them quickly. First is the glory of God's future kingdom. So verses 1 through 8 really outline the future of this glorious kingdom to come, and six words that describe it. Number one was access. First word was access. We noted how this this was a kingdom that was going to be open to the nations. The nations were going to come. Uh, unto it. And they were going to come to the, to the mountain of the Lord, and they were going to be taught by God. So this was the promise that, that in this day it was not going to be just a, a benefit to a geographical or ethnic group of people. No, no God was going to bless the nations. Then we looked at number two, and the second feature was truth, right? So there would be this, 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 the fullness of the truth of God, People will want to come up to the house of God, and God will teach His ways, and people will walk in His paths, right? The law will go forth, and the word of the Lord will go forth from Jerusalem. So these were the promises that we looked at. This will be the nature of God's kingdom. It is accessible to those who belong to Him, and and again, there's no barrier to any people group to keep them out, and then it it will be characterized by the fullness of the proclamation of truth. Which just is another encouragement about that. Is that not good news? So think of it this way. I'm not saying there'll be TVs in heaven, all right? But for the sake of what I'm about to say, can you imagine turning on your TV and everything you see is true? Again, I'm not saying heaven will produce a paper, but let's assume that they do. Opening up that paper and every single word is absolutely true true. Every bit of it. Everything. Let that sink in for a minute. We can't even conceive of that, right? In fact, is it not the opposite? When we come across a story that seems to be true, we're like, oh, wow, that's refreshing. 
Because it seems like a lot of them are loaded with a lot of other stuff that you think, oh, I don't know. So this is a great blessing that is to come. All right, number three, and that is peace. The third word that would describe this kingdom is going to be peace. Notice how it's described here. Looking in your text, beginning in verse 3. So, so he then says, He will judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. Now, at, at first glance, this sounds like words of judgment. It is not. The way this language is being used, and then the way it follows by saying, they shall beat their swords into plowshares. What this is saying, yes, God is going to issue words of chastisement and judgment, but what it's going to lead to is correction. So this, this is not quite the same thing. This, the, the, again, the nature of the way this language uh, rolls out, the, the words and, and the context in which they are used, rebuking the strong nations and judging them, that this is not in order to condemn them. This is to correct. So this is what's going to happen when the nations come. Their past evil deeds, their ways of sin and rebellion, that's all going to be corrected. Yes, God's going to identify it, but it's going to be fixed. And so what's going to happen is it's going to create them. Rather than what has been their, their pattern of violence and rebellion, it's going to be one of peace. Notice the next phrase. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. What a great set of phrases, because they're not going to need swords anymore, right? They're, they're, not, they're not going to need these weapons of warfare anymore. You, you, you might as well just beat these into something that are far more useful. And, and that language, by the way, when it says, we'll beat them into plowshares and then spears into pruning hooks, some of you may be getting worried and thinking, in this kingdom, am I going to have to plow something? All right, because pastor, I got to tell you, you know, with it being 150 degrees outside, I saw a story where there's waters off the coast of Florida that are 100 degrees. Can you imagine walking out of the heat of the beach and into the refreshment of a hot bath, right? I mean, that's kind of what it sounds like. So in all this heat, you think, plowshares, Seriously? All right, so just understand this is a metaphor, and in an agricultural society, to suggest that the only benefit swords would bring would be to use them as implements for your benefit. Plowshares and pruning hooks. Implements of a life well lived. I mean, that's what it is, of that which, because the land yielded God's blessing, and so, so these tools are tools of blessing. It's not going to be warfare anymore. In fact, he even adds that, right, as that next phrase. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. It won't even be a concept. So not only are they not going to engage in it, there's not going to be any means of doing it. So just imagine this. What would life on this planet be like without any military at all. So that's, that's what this means, by the way. B- because in that day, in that kingdom, we don't need the military. We need them now. God uses them for His purpose. But in that day, we won't need them. There, there, there won't be any, any war colleges, right? There won't be any 
There won't be any forts. There won't be any bases. There won't be any military academies. There won't be any war colleges. There won't be any of this. There won't be any of the implements that, that we have now, any of, the, any of the structures that we have now, any of the offices that are, that are about that. This will be a place of pure and perfect peace. Now, I think we should take this just a step further because I think in, you know, he's speaking of this is what's going to be true among the nations. Well, if that's true among the nations, you should also take comfort in the fact this is going to be true among individuals. It's not just that nation won't fight against nation anymore, which is stunning. And by the way, this is not just an absence of hostility. You know, it's possible. That's not what peace is, by the way. Not real peace. Real peace is not the absence of hostility. You know what the absence of hostility is? Just that. Doesn't mean there's peace. Just because people aren't shooting doesn't mean there's actual, the, the, the accurate definition of peace going on just because they're not shooting at each other. Because we know that even if you form a peace treaty, does that really create peace? Any time in history where peace treaties have been broken? Maybe one or a thousand of them? Maybe nearly all of them? All right? In other words, they, they don't last because humans can't do this, right? Because warfare is, our, is one of our things. So it's not just an absence of hostility. It is, it is a perfection in relationships with everyone. Imagine a life where you are never at odds in any way with anyone, ever. And, and that our weapons of warfare, maybe they're not swords, but sometimes there are words, right? Can you imagine a day where it won't even be possible for you to speak a word or a word to be spoken to you that pierces the heart. Imagine a day where you wouldn't even have to worry about it. You won't wake up, if you could wake up, all right, we understand that. Imagine a day where you won't have to wake up worried, man, my sharp tongue can get me in trouble. Because it won't. There'll be, a, there'll be an, a full, not just absence of hostility, but a perfection of relationship. Your relationship with everybody will be in full. And so that's a profound promise. All right, number four, and that is prosperity. Then Micah goes on and describes a time of prosperity. So it says in verse four, but everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. So that imagery there, it's really an extension of peace, but to, but to describe everyone sitting under his vine and under his fig tree, that, that is language of abundance, right? That's part of the blessing that was bestowed upon them entering into the land, right? That they, they would have this abundance of, of vine and this abundance of fig tree. So these are classic images in the Old Testament prophets about what it means to enjoy real God-given prosperity. And I think really the, the phrase that strikes me is that one in verse 4 in the middle, and no one shall make them afraid. Oh boy, is that, is that not just another profound blessing of what's going to be the glory of this kingdom to come? I mean, every day, 
How many ways are presented to you that you should be afraid? Every aspect of your life, right? You're encouraged to fear something or someone or, or some situation. And, and it's like, if, if, we don't, if we don't have enough of these bad stories, then they just, give a, they just come up with them, all right? I, I, I'm not even sure they're all true, getting back to that other point. But boy, they, they, there seems to be, this is the nature of life on this planet, fear. And, and fear driving us in all kinds of ways, right? Nationally, economically, socially, culturally, financially. You know, all, all of these things just... just just encourage us to be afraid. And that's not just even talking about those big, big things. I mean, even in your day-to-day life, there could be any number of things you find yourself worrying about, being anxious about, being fearful over. It could be your own personal health. It could be your own personal finances. It could be your own personal broken relationships with people. It could be any one of these things. It just induces fear. And he's saying, but the day is going to come when there won't be there won't be anyone who can make you afraid. Fear, in, in fact, here's how I think it'll be so uh, removed, you won't even know what the concept is. You won't even know that you're not afraid anymore. And you can think about that if you go to Dairy Queen afterwards, all right? So, you know, you won't even know that you're not afraid. Again, is it not just such a grace of God? Because here's what we're living with in this life. We're all too aware this is the way things can go. This is the promise of the greater glory that is to come. So prosperity. Another one, restoration. God also promises this will be a kingdom of restoration. So He says in verse 6, "...and that day says the Lord..." I will assemble the lame, I will gather the outcast, and those who I have afflicted, I will make the lame a remnant, and the outcast a strong nation, so the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from now on, even forever. So that language of assembling them, of taking the lame, of taking the outcast, of taking the afflicted, of making them into a remnant, of making... And by the way, I would say you know, this, this is looking to the future ultimately... But we do see like, like glimpses of this in the work of the gospel, right? Does that language not sound familiar in what was promised about the ministry of the Messiah? He's going to have a ministry to the lame and to the outcast, right? I mean, he's, he's, going, to be, he's going to be coming to those who are broken because of the sins and realities of this life. And so this is part of the work of the gospel being fulfilled. But I think this is pointing us, I think when it says in that day, I think that is a reference to a final fulfillment of all the promises related to the gospel. When all these, and even us, by the way, that the world calls foolish, those of us who seem to feel like, I don't know if you feel this way, do you ever feel like, you are among a small group of people when it comes to everybody else in the world? I mean, may, maybe not. Maybe you think, no, I think most of the people in the world think the way I do. I can tell you right now they don't, all right? I can tell you right now, you ready for this? I would be shocked if, 90, if, if 5% of Newburn thinks what you think about these things. I'd be shocked 
if it were even 5%. I know, you, Pastor, there's no way. That's just you being a pastor. I don't know. Go ask them all. I don't know what to tell you. I'm just saying from what I see and from what I sense, even those who might seem like good fellas, right? Good people. And maybe even might claim something about Jesus. Maybe might say a few good words about the Bible. They might even vote the way you do. But I can promise you on the vast majority of things that actually really matter, I bet they don't agree with you. Not you. We're part of a pretty small group. And it feels like we are, we are in a world that does one thing, tries to squeeze us out. But he's saying in that day, in that day there will be a restoration that those who've been outcast, those who've been lame, those who've been afflicted, there will be this gathering of the remnant and God will reign. And this leads then to the, the last one of this, this point, and that is dominion. God then promises to have dominion. So he ends, verse 7, saying, So the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from now on, even forever. And you, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. Even the former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. By the way, I think that's, that's a reference to the, to the Davidic kingdom. I think that is a reference to what is the promise made to David, that he would have a son who would sit on a forever throne and rule over a forever kingdom. I think that's the implication under all that language. And so this is a promise then of what's going to be the dominion to come. Now, I'm not going to hash too much of that out because this Sunday, our first Messianic Psalm is Psalm 2. I know you've already read it because that's what I said to do on Sunday. And I know you all have done that, okay? But if you're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, well, you got some time because it's just one psalm. So Psalm 2 was going to talk a lot more about that, and it actually kind of, uh, you know, kind of of brings in nicely what we have been talking about here in the book of Micah. So so this final word then of dominion. Now, don't misunderstand this. When the language of the Bible talks about God ruling and reigning like this, that doesn't mean that he's not currently reigning over the universe. It just means he's not manifesting that reign and requiring full submission to him to the degree that he is able and could. I think, that, I think that's, that's what this is saying, that the day is going to come when God in full, so all enemies will be vanquished and there will be a fullness, a manifestation of the rule and reign of, of God in the days to come. So the glory, the greater glory of this kingdom to come. Unfortunately, though, that leads us into some bad news. Because here's what Micah does. Right right after this, giving us these words of such hope and encouragement, he does remind the people, verses 9 through chapter 5, verse 1, it's not going to be an easy road until we get there. And so the second truth in this text is the nature of life's current suffering. And so the blanked villain would be the word nature. I may not have made a slide for this one. The nature of life's current suffering. So notice how he transitions out of all of that, all all of that profound proclamation of what is going to be the the, the future to come. He then says in verse 9, Now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in your midst? Has your counselor perished? I I think there is to some degree in this, and I'm going to use this word because I really can't think of a better one, I think it's a type of taunt. Just knowing God can never do this inappropriately. 
So he's given them all these promises, but now he's come back to the present. And now he's saying, why are you crying aloud? Don't you have a king to go to? Oh. So the subtext is, no. No, you got, your king's a wicked king. And that, that king's going to face God's judgment. In fact, eventually, the, the last king of Judah in full is going to be taken by Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to be, you know, he's going to, he's going to be captured and taken. Oh, okay, so do you not have a counselor? Well, again, the subtext is no. We talked about that a few weeks ago, that, that their prophets are doing what? Telling them only what they want to hear. And so why are you crying aloud? Now, to some degree, it may also be, you know, reference back to these promises, but I really think it's this. You know, why do you cry aloud at this? That you, you, you are facing the consequences of your sin. There should be a king among you who could lead you through dark days. There should be a counselor who could guide you with wisdom. But now you are in the midst of suffering. And so he says in verse 9, For pangs have seized you like a woman in labor. And so be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in birth pangs. For now you shall go forth from the city. You shall dwell in the field, and to Babylon you shall go. There you shall be delivered. The Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. So notice again how he kind of comes back around. He gives this stark word to them. Now this is prophetic, you know, this is a pretty strong prophetic word. He basically is telling them here, the next big act of judgment to come upon Jerusalem is going to be the Babylonian exile. I think we're a solid 150 years away from it at this point. I think Micah, Micah is ministering more to time during the 700s BC. And, and so he's, he's ministering a time like when Assyria has come into the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom's feeling pretty frisky about themselves. I mean, really, they, they feel like, yeah, the northern folks, yeah, they're the idolaters. They've got the false uh, altar they built up there. We're Jerusalem. We've got the temple, right? We've got the good stuff here. But he's warning them they're not going to, to escape God's judgment. They've not been faithful to the covenant. And, and so he says, so here's what, here's what I'm encouraging you to do, to be like a woman in labor. You are suffering through labor pains. That is such a poignant image, is it not? And an ideal one for this topic. It is the perfect illustration for this. Because he's saying right now, your suffering is like a woman in, in labor. So, you know, that obviously it's nothing that I've experienced, but from what I gather, it is really, really painful, all right? Because men can't experience it. I don't care what our culture says, okay? All right, so, so it is terribly painful. But what's the end result? Life. Joy. So this is what he's getting at. Be in, be in pain like a woman in labor. Not just be in pain because there's no end to the pain. Not just be in pain because you're being tortured by, by some big meanie up in the sky, all right? Because God's just, you know, just, just loves, just takes pleasure in punishing people. No, you're, you're like a woman in labor. Yes, it is pain, but this is going to give way to birth. Pain is going to give way to joy. The suffering is going to give way to life. And he even promises here. He's giving this illusion to not only what's going to happen, Babylon is going to come and they will take you. That's what these verses are saying. But he's also saying, but you're going to get into exile and guess what's going to happen? You're going to be redeemed from it. And God's going to restore the nation. He's going to bring exiles back. 
And you know all about that because you remember everything we talked about when we went through the book of Ezra, right? So we know all about the exiles returning. And so this is, this is an element of promise, but at the same time, he is reminding them of this. The days to come are going to be days of suffering. Now notice how then this, this says the nations don't understand this, verse 11. Now also many nations have gathered against you, say, let her be defiled, and let, let our eye look upon Zion, because the nations don't understand the sovereignty of God. And that's what it says in verse 12, but they do not know the thoughts of the Lord, nor do they understand His counsel, for He will gather them like sheaves to the threshing floor. I am telling you, church, every now and then I give you this instruction, and if you'd listen to it every time, your TV would be full of sticky notes, but this is another one to add. When you're watching the news, you need to put Micah chapter 4, verse 12, up there. The nations, and I might get myself in trouble, which includes us, are full of foolishness. Am am I wrong? Does does anybody watch the stuff and think, no, we're good? And does anybody see all of these options out there that's going to bring you know, this, 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 this grand return to the Lord? I don't see it. Maybe I'm just really pessimistic at this point. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They don't understand His counsel. And what's God going to do? He's going to gather them like sheaves on the threshing floor. He's going to judge them. He's going to judge the nations. And that will include ours, by the way. And so arise, thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your, uh, your horn iron. So he returns with this good news. I will make your hooves bronze. You shall beat in pieces many peoples. I will consecrate their gain to the Lord and their substance to the Lord of the whole earth. In other words, there's this then final promise again. There are good and great and glorious days coming, but in the meantime, it's going to be pain and suffering. There's going to be challenges. Now, I don't want to leave, though, on just such a bad note. This does not mean life is only ever full of hurt. And keep in mind, Israel, Judah, they are where they are because of their sin. But God is still a God of grace and and forgiveness that if as His people, you know, those who would come to Him in repentance will will receive God's, God's forgiveness. But we also understand we will face pain and brokenness and hurt and suffering because this, that's the world we live in. And so church, I, again, I'm not encouraging us to ignore our civic duty and opportunity. We'll talk more about this on Sunday. You know, we, sh- we should vote. I'm for that. We've talked about it. We've talked about it many times. But also understand how limited that is. You do know none of this changes at the ballot box. None of it. Oh, maybe it might slow its descent, but the decay that is described in the Bible is guaranteed and absolute. And the only way to avoid it is to place all of our hope in the sovereign work of a sovereign God and the glorious return of a Savior. Let us not be distracted, church, by the voices that will tell us our job is something else. It is not. My ultimate goal is not bound to this earth. It is bound to the glory of God in Christ Jesus. Micah reminds us of this. It'll be in the midst of suffering, but there's a greater glory to come, and it's worth it. And it's worth it then to bring as many people with us into that greater glory as we can. That's our job. That's our task.
Let us give ourselves to it in full, without apology. This is what we're called to do. The world may not like it. They may not want it. We trust that God by His Spirit is at work in the lives of people. And so let us be faithful to what is His greater commands upon us. I'm going to pray, and uh, then we'll be dismissed. So let's pray. Father God, we do thank You for the gathering we've had tonight, the opportunity to pray together and study this Word. We thank You for what are these promises of the greater glory to come. And we thank You, God, for the way they sustain us and the way You sustain us, even in the midst of challenging days like these days. We, we see the way life can turn, the way suffering can come upon us. And so, so, so we ask God first that You would keep us from that which we may do, which may exacerbate that. And Father, that as we then face those trials and sufferings that come our way, may we do so with endurance and trust and patience, full faith and confidence that there is something better coming. Not a wishful thinking, a guarantee that you as God will reign over Zion, that you will restore back those who belong to you to a condition that is free from the sin of cur- the, the, the free, free from the curse of sin and death. Father, I thank you for these who've come tonight, their willingness to be a part this time of prayer and studying your word. I pray they would know your blessing. I pray they would know your wisdom and that you, by your spirit and by your word, would direct their paths. And may they fulfill the obligations you've given to them in such a way that you are glorified. We ask that you'd gather your people back together again, that we might worship you in spirit and in truth. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.